For today's Leadership in Action interview, we're joined by Peter Cheese, Chief Executive of CIPD, the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development, representing over 135,000 HR and development professionals. Peter's career includes 30 years with Accenture, which culminated in a seven-year term as Global Managing Director, heading up their talent and organization performance consulting practice. After leaving Accenture in 2009, he held a portfolio of consulting and non-executive roles, and during this time was appointed Chairman of the Institute of Leadership and Management. Although he stepped down from this role on joining CIPD, he has continued as an ILM board member. He also sits on the Council of City and Guilds and is an Executive Fellow at London Business School. In addition to all this, Peter somehow finds time to act as European Board Director for Junior Achievement Young Enterprise Europe. This is an organisation dedicated to the development of entrepreneurial, financial and employability skills in young people through business engagement in schools and universities. Welcome, Peter, and many thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule for Leadership in Action. How's the world treating you at the moment? Very well. Very busy. Yeah, good, good. Well, th- thank you very much for your time. Perhaps before we get started, Peter, you could give us a brief insight into the work of Junior Achievement Young Enterprise Europe. Yeah, happily. Um Junior Achievement Young Enterprise Europe is uh, a body focused on building entrepreneurial, financial and and business understanding in young people. And it does that by bringing business people uh, into the school environment, uh, all the way from basic coaching and bits of teaching on on the principles of things like financial management and so forth and business, through to um, what's been very successful for them, uh, and they call the company programs, whereby they... Um, have young people come together and establish small businesses, um, which are then coached by business people from you know, some of the, the supporting and sponsoring companies, and they develop these little businesses, and, and uh, some of them actually become genuine commercial concerns, and then they, they uh, many of them will then submit these little companies into a competition. Um, and they'll work up to regional, national, and then even to European levels. Um, and every year they have this incredible event where they get all these young people together and they all present their companies and there's a big company competition and the winner is announced. So the best company you know, uh, set up by these young people across Europe. So that's the essence of what they do. And, and of course, it's the relevance of what they do has never been greater. And today, um, around 3 million young people, so students and in school, typically secondary level, but also primary level and indeed tertiary level, have some connection or impact um, with the programs that Junior Achiever Young Enterprise offer uh, across, I think it's about 28 countries. So it's, it's very substantial, and in countries like the UK, um, where it's known just as Young Enterprise, it's been around for about 50 years. Um, and then the European region, which is the board I sit on, is, is one of um, four regions around the world, so there's also very big and long-standing um, presence in North America, um, plus growth in South America, and then uh, the kind of Middle East, Africa region, and indeed Asia-Pacific. So it's, it's grown into very much a worldwide uh, program and enterprise, and its ambition is simply to help uh, say build the employability skills and the, the interest in young people in, in entrepreneurial and business uh, development. Wow, that's brilliant. Some really impressive stuff going on there. Peter, it's very clear from your background that you're a firm advocate of continual learning. What was it that set you off in that direction? Well, I suppose a, a personal interest in learning. I mean, I, uh, I've always believed you never stop learning. Um, and I was very fortunate in working in an organization like Accenture where 
that was part of the culture. I mean, not just from the perspective of what the organization itself might might have taught us, but, but the experience of working in so many different companies and industries as a consultant. And, and every time, almost every day, you were learning something different. So uh, it's always been a kind of personal mantra of, of mine. But I think the other thing that's made me extremely aware of this is, is that we do live in very fast-changing times and very uncertain times. And it could sound a bit cliche, but it is absolutely true that, that the pace of change has never been greater, um, and there are so many dynamics which are affecting the world of work, um, you know, particularly things like technology and all the sort of ways in which we can now connect and learn and build businesses, uh, the whole changing nature of, of uh, the economies you know, with, with the uncertainty and the uh, different organizational models, and so it goes on. So there's just a, a massively changing context and pace of change. And, and in a world like that, we have to keep learning. We have to keep reskilling ourselves. We have to keep up to date. Otherwise, you know, sadly, we can rather too quickly become um, past our sell-by dates. So it, it's become... Not only is it a sort of point of personal interest, as it were, and something I've always believed in personally, but I think it becomes, uh, in the context I've laid out, a an absolute professional requirement uh, for everybody um, to continue to learn, to continue to hone and develop their skills, to continue to keep relevant, to continue to see that you know, all this change is opportunity as well. It's not just a threat. It, it is real opportunity, and, and hopefully will allow us all to... Um, continue to learn and, and to benefit from the changes that that can bring. Absolutely, yeah. I agree with you, yeah, spot on. Um, you mentioned your time at Accenture and some of the learning experiences you had there. Uh, you must have had the opportunity to get a great insight into the running of a lot of different top organizations. From that experience, what do you think they do well in terms of leadership and what are perhaps some of the areas they maybe need to work on a bit? Yeah, I think, as you said, I, I've seen lots of different organizations, and, and, and leadership and leadership development, I mean, it's interesting, it's probably more written on the subject of leadership than any other subject in business. Uh, there's probably as much spent on leadership development as almost any other uh, other part of skills development in, in um, businesses today. You know, I heard a statistic the other day, if you look at the UK, um, that we have a, you know, whatever it is, three and a half billion odd pound expenditure on formal education so schools and universities and so forth uh, and by some estimates we may spend as much as 10 times that in what we spend in training and development across all the businesses you know, for, so, so which is a pretty you know, eye-watering thought now in that money that's being spent and that includes opportunity cost and those other things but in that money that's being spent by organizations and say that most organizations will have some form of leadership development program and particularly when they are positioned at the senior and executive end of the scale they're, they're pretty expensive I and mean, they will spend thousands um, on uh, per person on doing sort of executive development um, and, and a lot of that uh, is good. It tends to focus uh, particularly, again, on the more senior end of leadership on things like understanding strategy and understanding broader context of markets and globalization and technology and all the sort of trends I touched on a moment ago, which are all good things for, for, for business people to understand. Um, but I think where we have continued not to invest enough is in the very basic uh, requirement of leaders and managers at all levels, which is how do I effectively manage teams and manage people and manage change? So the, the really, really 
you know, kind of 101 aspects of leadership management, if you will. Um, and that is, is so important in, in an environment where the workforce is becoming increasingly diverse and therefore, in many senses, challenging to, to manage, you know, from the perspective of diversity, not just the traditional measures of diversity, but diversity in the, in the way they work. And we, no longer are we seeing our teams all sat outside our offices nine to five. They can be working all over the place. They can be job sharing. They can be working virtually. Uh, plus all the normal dynamics of, of what we think of as, as, as diversity in terms of background and ethnicity and gender and so on. So in that context, if we weren't doing a good enough job of developing these very fundamental skills of, of leadership management at all levels, historically, which I believe we were not, then the imperative to do that better has never been greater. So I, I think it's an interesting paradox in a sense around leadership development that you can talk to many, many businesses, particularly the larger businesses, and they'll have their executive development programs or they'll have their head, head of leadership development and so forth. And when you really look at what they're doing, they're tending to focus on the more senior executive development type programs and they may also be looking at kind of the high potentials if you will and that's been the traditional focus of leadership development and then not doing enough with the, the, the large body of managers at all levels and I'm talking about from first line supervisor onwards to help them become better managers around the basics of good management and leadership which are about people management and ability to manage change and communicate and so on and and I, as I said, I think there's never been a greater imperative to, to get a better focus on that. Um, and, and the final point I would make in all of that is that whilst it's good that you know, organizations do spend, you know, in the areas they do spend on leadership, and I'm not suggesting they shouldn't, and I've made the point that, that it needs to extend in other ways across the broader leadership population, the other thing we have to do is get much better at understanding the outcomes of all of that spend. Uh, and it's a, it's very much a truism in business. If I say that you know maybe we're spending as much as ten times the, the national budget set aside for formal education in all the businesses around leadership, uh, around uh, you know, uh, training and workforce development, then how much of that money is, is properly understood in terms of the value outcome, not just what we spent per person and whether they enjoyed the training or whatever, um, but actually what difference did it make? How did their behavior change? How did their competence change in a way that was you know, obviously good for them individually, but more importantly was good in terms of the context of their, their job, their role in the organization that they're part of? And historically we've done a very poor job of, of understanding that connection, and therefore most organizations would be very hard put to say exactly what is the value outcome of all that training. And indeed, you know, to the early point about where I think there are gaps in, in leadership management development today, where are we either spending money that is not delivering any great value and, and just as importantly, should we be directing some of that training spent to other areas which are not uh, being developed properly and therefore not driving the value that we need in, in the enterprises we serve? I think that's so important. Just picking up on something else you said there, Peter, was around the role of developing leadership throughout the organization. Uh, could you explain a little bit about the role of CIPT in leadership development and how, how that fits in with the work of ILM? Yes, indeed. So um, CIPT, I mean, it's, it's, it's broad um, objective and in terms of communities it serves is, is 
very broadly the HR profession and the learning and development profession. And I meant to, I'm just drawing a slight distinction there because there are there are many people who work in learning and development who, for example, work in training organisations who wouldn't necessarily see themselves as HR. So to, to, to move away from kind of titles like that, very broadly the remit of CIPD is about the development of capability in people management and development. Um, so in that context, what is interesting then is that um, you know, if I, if I reflected back on the, the role of HR in, in, in developing people um, and organisations, that cannot be achieved without the managers doing what the managers need to do. In other words, put it a different way, um, HR and, and even the learning and development functions are essentially enabling functions. They're not the ones that manage the people. The, the, the people that manage the people are, of course, all of the uh, the line managers and leaders and managers at all levels. They're the ones that are managing the people. Um, and, and I've already made the point that the context for, for leaders and managers has never been more challenging in terms of people management. So it is it is the absolutely vital that as a profession and therefore as a professional body representing you know, the world of HR and, and, and leadership and, and learning and development, that we are able to continue to emphasize, because I think sometimes HR professionals forget this, that it is an enabling function and we need to be properly supporting managers um, and in that context therefore also highlighting the point I already made which is and um, what are the skills and competencies of managers that need to be developed and how they develop through a combination of both you know, training and learning which we already touched on but also other things you know mentoring coaching um, the right sort of performance management giving them the right, them the right roles to develop their skills and so on um, so it is it's the flip side of the same coin and, and therefore I have a very strong belief and a very strong passion from the CIPD perspective that for us to accomplish our wider mission which we talk about these days as championing uh, better work and working lives yes of course we have a primary focus on the HR and the learning and development communities but we absolutely have to reinforce all these points about and how do we properly support and train and develop the managers who are ultimately you know, the ones managing the people now, the connection then to ILM is that, yes, there is some degree of overlap of that idea with ILM, but ILM takes a broader view of leadership management, recognizing the leadership management, yes, of course, there's a big element around people management and change management and so on, but there are many other things about being good leaders and managers as well, you know, the content and the technical skills and, <clears throat> and other leadership-type capabilities, which I think they can bring a very effective focus on, uh, complementing you know, and we should be able to complement each other in this sense, recognizing, as I say, that we both should be championing good leadership management. We should both be championing the, the core aspects of good leadership management which relate to people management and development. But they will come at it from a slightly different lens from the lens that we will, and ILM will be developing the other broader constructs of what are good leadership management capabilities. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you for that. Looking at your own career, what do you think are the key qualities that have enabled you to be successful as a leader? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I think um, a number of things. I mean, the first I would say is I've always tried to be open and collaborative in my management style. And what I mean by that is you know, not having hidden agendas, uh, supporting people uh, in terms of uh, not keeping everything into myself, but you know, sharing stuff, delegating work, empowering people, to use a, a phrase. Um, and, and that's, I, I've always held dear as, as good 
management, and it relates back to some of the things I've said, or good leadership, and it relates to some of the things i said about a fundamental core of being a good leader is being a good people manager. And I think I've always instinctively believed those are the right things to do, and that the role that I would have as a leader at any level uh, begins in many ways, and to some extent almost ends, with... uh, this, this notion that actually Accenture was called out in core value, which they called stewardship, which is, I think, a fantastic value, which speaks to the idea that each of us have this responsibility of developing the people that are coming behind us, and that's uh, that notion of stewardship, um, and that we will only be effective as leaders if we are helping those who work for us and with us to be effective themselves. Um, so that that's I think absolutely central um, to to the thinking of, of certainly that I've helped dear and hopefully has helped me in my career, and it relates also therefore to not only how I kind of manage my team but how I relate to others in an organisation and even outside an organisation and you know I, I use that word collaborative and I think that is an absolutely critical skill in in the modern world is is to to recognise that none of us can understand everything, deal with everything, or whatever else, and, and therefore we are massively strengthened by our ability to build effective networks and to collaborate effectively, and so it obviously begins with one's own team, but then it spreads across to how you relate to your peers and your colleagues and different functional areas, and so even outside your own organization, and that's certainly very much a, a value and a principle that I've been bringing to this job at the CIBD, which is that we need to do much better than I think we have historically in building really effective organizational collaboration, both within the organization but very critically beyond it. Um, so that would be the second thing I'd, I'd highlight, is that, that ability to collaborate, and as they've subsumed within that in many ways, therefore is a much underrated management and leadership skill, which is the skill of networking. Um, so to, to build collaborative and effective relationships which you can sustain. Uh, and you know, it's amazing over the years how, you know, the old adage of one good turn deserves another. You help somebody out, you collaborate with them at some point in your career, and then might come might be many years later that something comes around, and that person says, "Oh yeah, I remember working with Peter or whoever it was, and they, they helped me." So you know, let's see if we can do something else together and help each other again. So, so that, as I say, networking and collaboration. I think thirdly, I'd call out communication. Um, because there's absolutely no doubt that um, a core skill of, of, of a good leader, again at any level, is the ability to communicate. And obviously as you get more senior, then, then that skill become, becomes more and more critical. And that ability to, as a leader, to share your, your point of view, your vision, your opinion, your, your sense of direction, your values, um, uh, in an effective way to, to the organization or to the people that work work for you is absolutely fundamental and, and I suppose I've always enjoyed and, and I was certainly trained in early parts of my career to, to communicate, to speak on public platforms, to uh, enjoy writing and so forth and, and trying to use social media these days and all these other forms and then the, the good old traditional mechanisms of management by walking about and uh, so some of that you know, I think has been reinforced and trained through the kind of organizations I've worked for and some of it I, I enjoy so I suppose I, I find instinctive and I recognize they're not always things that people do enjoy you know, standing up on public platforms or whatever but but they, this, this communication skill is absolutely fundamental to, to good leadership and then finally I'd, I'd point to you know, the more kind of I suppose technical and professional aspects of, of what I've 
learned and how I've applied that knowledge have of course helped me. I mean, I've taught to some degree in the first three more about sort of softer skills, but of course there's some hard skills which are essential in any leadership job and role. Um, and one's own kind of technical competence, you know, including analytical abilities and, and ability to kind of take unformed ideas and construct something and turn them into productive plans, um, uh, ability to um, shape direction, ability to understand you know, the markets and the products and the assets and the capabilities of the team or the organization you're dealing with. I mean, all those sorts of things are quite clearly uh, critical. And, and um, you know, again, I've, I've been lucky that uh, I think I've been trained quite well on some of those things, but also experienced pretty much all aspects of business in one shape or another. So that so that all of those technical competencies, of course, are absolutely vital, and, and there's a very core core uh, competence in all of that, which I think is vital for every leader and manager, and that's financial and commercial skills. Um, actually, there's one other I'd add to as well, which is the kind of fifth one, if you will, which is um, a degree of self-awareness and self-confidence. Um, because I think any person that reaches any level of leadership recognizes you know, that they've got there. Sometimes they've been lucky and there's been a lucky break, but, but other times they've had to recognize the opportunity and then position themselves or ask to be considered for that opportunity or put themselves up for that job, which um, might have seemed a stretch at the time. And, and that I, I would regard as, as those attributes or elements of self-confidence and self-awareness. So awareness of what you're good at and also what you're not so good at, um, but also uh, having the confidence to say, okay, well, this next job or, you know, I've got an aspiration to take on a broader leadership role and that's not going to be easy to begin with. And maybe there's a job being advertised that you sort of look at it first and think, oh, gosh, could I really do that? But but then you, you know, having the confidence to put yourself forward and try the, try these sorts of things, um, and that's a, that's an essential thing. It's, it's kind of a motivational element as well as a, a you know, one around uh, confidence. And I suppose I've always been you know, quite ambitious, if that's the right word, but I, I've, I've always believed I can contribute um, and want to contribute and want to continue to stretch myself. And to go back to something we said earlier, I want to continue to learn. And, and the best way you learn is you put yourself into a situation which you don't know everything about. Um, and you stretch yourself a bit and then you say, wow, well, I could do that. So maybe in a year or two, I'll be able to do something else. And so that's a, a very critical element, of course, I think, of any um, any good leader. Mm-hmm. And did you experience any specific struggles or challenges on your leadership development journey that the rest of us can learn from? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think everybody who's had any positions of leadership will, will always recognize the challenges. And, yeah, they, they, they've a lot of them actually relate to people. They relate to either um, you know, having a team that, that you've got friction and tension with you have to deal with, uh, or you've got a team that hasn't got all the capabilities and you've got to you know, take the tough decisions about moving people on or bringing new people in, or that you're dealing with a, a boss that you frankly don't get on with and, and, and the relationship's difficult, but you've got to kind of work your way through it and try to find the, you know, the middle ground. Um, I would say, you know, the vast majority, that, that's where the challenges are. And I can think of lots, lots of cases of, of all of those sorts of things, you know, working for difficult bosses that I haven't personally related to or liked or felt that they didn't understand me. Um, or, as I said, members of my team who just simply aren't the right people, creating the wrong tensions or not having the right capabilities and having to take the tough decisions. And, 
and some of that is, is difficult to do. It's emotional stuff. Um, so those, I think, you know, nine times out of ten, those are the, those are the big challenges. And, and you know, again, good leadership is, is is also about taking the difficult decisions. It's not just about taking the easy decisions. And and the difficult decisions, again, nine times out of ten, will relate to people. Um, and they're difficult to do, but you have to do them. Um, I think other other than that, then of course the other things that have been a challenge, and of course the, you know what I mentioned before, which is the, the great pace of change and keeping sufficiently ahead of things, and and certainly as we've gone through economic bumps in the road, and we've been to, we still are, and very significant um, economic uncertainty. That is a challenge for every person in business, um, and of course some you know. Many people, I suppose, have, have lost jobs or lost positions or whatever as a result of circumstances to some degree outside their control, you know, economic downturns and so forth. And, you know, that's happened, you know, no business is immune. And you know, in my time at Accenture, we went through various economic cycles where at times we had to lay people off and go through these very difficult restructuring. Um, and, and those are very stressful times. I mean, I was fortunate not to be kind of on the receiving end of those things, as many people are, um, but my goodness, you're under a lot of pressure. I mean, you have to deliver in, in more difficult circumstances. You've got to keep performing, and then at the same time, if you're in a leadership position, you've got to make a lot of very tough choices about having to perhaps restructure your business or lay people off through no fault of their own, but, but through you know, broader economic circumstances that in many ways may be beyond your control. Um, so those are probably the two or three things I'd, I'd really highlight. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm very aware of the march of time, and uh, thank you very much for your um, very full answers to these questions. Fantastic stuff. If I could ask you one more question, Peter. If you had to choose just one piece of advice to give our listeners on how to become exceptional leaders, what would it be? I mean, generally in my experience, good leadership starts with self-awareness. Um, I think it's very hard to, to be a good leader. I mean, to go back to some things I said about being open and, and so forth, and another word that kind of goes with that is being authentic, which which I think is really, really important. And, and particularly in this day and age, I think it, there is, there has been, you know, because of all the contextual things going on, a lot of breakdown in the trust in leaders. And do, do people who work for others believe that the, their bosses are behaving ethically, behaving in their, in, you know, the, the team's interest or the organization's interest as well as their own interest. And, and all of that speaks very much to this notion of, of openness and integrity. And openness and integrity is impossible to do if you're not sufficiently self-aware. If you're not sufficiently aware of what are your own strengths and, and, and weaknesses and where you need help personally. And therefore, you know, it plays out into other ideas such as if I'm not self-aware and I don't understand where my own gaps are, then I'm not going to build a team around me that complements my strengths and weaknesses. But also, it's, if, if I'm not self-aware and, and understand you know, everything from how I communicate and how I build relationships and how I use and exercise power and responsibility, then you're continually um, either going through a, a process of behaving as you think you should and almost acting it out. And, and this, you know, if I go back to the conversation on leadership development, I, I do worry that there are a lot of leadership development programs are not effective because they're kind of teaching people, you should behave like this. 
Um, and you might remember it for a brief period of time, but it, it's, it's not going to be innate or it's not going to be a repeated behavior until you really understand yourself what motivates you, what are your strengths and weaknesses, and therefore how do you behave and respond to, to different situations? How do you respond to pressure? How do you respond to uncertainty? And how does that behavior then reflect in terms of how you treat and communicate others and how you communicate to others and so forth? So, uh, as I said, I, I'd probably pick that one as a, kind of a, an anchor, um, which is, because it is an anchor, I think, to all these other things that we've talked about of, of what uh, I think um, builds good leadership. Um, uh, it, it, so you, you've got to have that personal anchor. Who am I? How do I respond? How do I think? What motivates me? How do I learn? What am I good at? Uh, why did my, I want to do something different? And what stretches me? What motivates me? Um, and, and understanding that, being honest about that, helps you then with all these other things. Helps you to build the right team that complements you. Helps you to be self-reflective and also accept criticism when, when uh, you need to. To listen to others, to improve yourself, uh, to become a better leader. So I suppose that's what, what I would uh, answer that question with. Okay, super. Thank you. And I, I think that really resonates. Well, our time has finally come to an end, Peter, so it only remains for me to thank you for sharing the benefit of your unique experience from the perspective of organisations devoted to the development of human potential. Very many thanks, Peter. Excellent. Thank you, Brett.